The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Meg, very much as always. It's always a privilege to listen there. If you just want to play one special night, just play for us. That is beautiful music. It really is. Amen. We are very blessed. I invite your attention this morning to the, the smallest book of the Bible, 3 John, and that's 1026 in your pew Bible. If you did not bring your Bible, the blue Bible is in your pew, 1026. If you're sliding on your iPad, your iPhone, your Android, your Windows phone, fill in the blank, you can find it much faster. Uh, you know, one of these days, we're going to have a Bible sword drill where we all just decide who gets there fastest. So uh, be prepared for that. There will be a pop quiz someday. We're going we're gonna to throw that at you. How many remember sword drills? Anybody? Used to do Bible drills here. I haven't done those in years. So some of you would have to slide fast. So you'll have to get there quickly. But we're in the book of Third John this morning. You know, I just realized as I was coming up here, three of my last four opening hooks or illustrations have been sports-related, so I appreciate your grace if you're not a sports fan for one more possible one here today. You know, uh, RantSports.com, which is a major sports website, recently did a poll where they asked sports fans of all ages across the country who were the most cocky, uh, arrogant, big-headed sports people that you could list across all time in all sports. And these were their top three. Are you ready? I'm going to put the picture up there. In the bottom right corner, number three comes in with Brett Favre. And if you don't know Brett Favre, there was always this drama every year whether he was actually going to play again. And then he decided he'd play just for another team. He did this for the last five or six years of his time. Number two was Dion Neon Sanders. If you haven't met a flashier guy than Deion Sanders, please watch videos of him. Primetime was his nickname in his prime. He's probably almost 50 now, but could outrun all of us if he tried. He's that fast. And this shouldn't be a surprise for most of you. Who was the last one up here? Muhammad Ali. Yes, I, I had a whole list of his sayings. Uh, sting like a, yeah, dance like a, sing like a bee. You all know this better than I do. He's obviously slowed down in recent years, but they found overwhelmingly 30% believe Muhammad Ali was the most cocky of all sports athletes against all time. Maybe not a surprise to you, but definitely a surprise in light of some of the divas, if you will, that we have in sports today. But interestingly, another thing came up this week. A recent article, a very recent article, asked fans on that same website to declare their number one vote for the most humble, most selfless team across all sports, across all time. Go ahead and throw up that picture for me, Miss Amy. It was the Kansas City Royals of 2015. Now, an argument can be made. Yes, we just won a World Series. There's a lot of attention to us. But, friends, I think you, if you watch that team play, you know there's a lot of selflessness, not selfishness on that team. No wonder 800,000 people, maybe you were one of them, went downtown in that mass chaos that was called the Tuesday Parade. How many of y'all went there, just out of curiosity? Half the congregation raises their hands. <laughs> that is funny. Friends, they were a humble team. 
But you know, it got me thinking about this. The sermon title today is, Can You Love God and Look Out for Number One? It reminded me as I was going through this illustration process of this verse, very familiar verse for you, James 4, 6. But he, that's God, gives more grace. Aren't you grateful God gives you more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. On a recent trip to a bookstore, I couldn't help but notice a self-help section. Many of you have probably perused that on your way to another section. And the self-help concept, of course, began in the 1930s with Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Maybe you've read that book before. And it exploded the, the, the self-generation in the 1970s. But when I did a diligent search about this phrase, looking out for number one in the bookstore, just seeing if there's a book called Looking Out for Number One, I didn't find any of those. But I did find a book called Manifest Your Destiny that included nine spiritual principles for getting everything and anything you want in this life. Wow, that must be nice, isn't it? I uh, must have missed that book somewhere. But even the most cursory reading shows all nine principles revolve around what? Looking out for number one. So Christian, how do we handle this? How do we handle this culture of sports and entertainment that says it's all about me? It's all about what I do. We have a thing called an iPad. We have a thing called the, uh, hey, it's a McDonald's world. Hey, it could happen. How should we regard these messages? What should we think about how people learn to look out for number one? Here's a better question. Can I know God and still look out for number one? Can our church be gospel-centered if we're just looking out for number one, i.e. everything about our church? The big idea then comes out of this. As I was thinking about the passage we're going to study here in John, it's simply this. Heaven isn't a carnival hall of mirrors where we like what we see. But when we get to heaven someday, it'll be the grand gift of self-forgetful joy and the glory of Christ and his gospel. Because, friends, when we get up there, wherever that is, we will forget all about us, and it will be all about him. And John knew this truth. John knew the truth about Christ and wanted to get this message about him known. The self-help books that are in our bookstores today propagate the ultimate lie that came out of the Garden of Eden, that it's all about you. Oh, God only said that. That doesn't mean much. Just do what you want to do. But Christ tells us what inside is not everything that we need. The author of every self-help book has ever written has died or will die eventually, right? But aren't you grateful that Christ still lives? Aren't you grateful that it was Christ who told us it's this message and John is passing it along? That you can't love God and still say, I'm number one. Because he has to be number one. So what does this leave us with? Last week, we looked at a guy named Gaius. We looked at a commendable Christian last week. This week, in the small book of 3 John, we told you we're just going to look at the four characters in there, Gaius, Diotrephus, Demetrius, and then the author himself, John. We're going to see a, kind of a contrast here today. The first thing I want you to ask in this question, can I know God and look out for number one? We're going to look at a guy named Diotrephus. Diotrephus is a cocky Christian. You might call him the Muhammad Ali of this local church back in the day. Demetrius. In verses 11 and 12 is a compatible Christian. And then finally, John is a concerned Christian in verses 13 and 14. But I want you to ask yourself today, which one of these best represents your view of God? Which Christian here? And your view of the church. Is it the number one or is it the self-forgetful joy that comes when you only see Christ? Will you join me in standing this morning for the reading of God's word if you're able? Third John, we'll start in verse 9. 
3 John, there isn't even really a chapter. It's just verse 9. Verse 9 from 3 John, as we end up these marks of a gospel-centered church from 3 John. Be reading out of the ESV today. John writes, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. It's not a good way to be introduced in the Bible. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Let's go before the Lord today in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that we have the ability to live in a, a, a country, Lord, that we see so many grand things, things, honestly, Lord, by your common grace that have never been experienced in, 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 at any place, at any time, as far as we know. But, Lord, with that comes the great pride that will come as we discover things, accomplish things, achieve things. Father, may our church, may our lives, may our Christians here not be about number one except making you known. Father, the ability to know you and to make you known. May that be our resound here at Tower View Baptist Church. Father, thank you for these four Christians here, one last week in Gaius and the three that we will study briefly today. Lord, as we look at these, may we not just look at a person who saw certain characteristics in them, but Lord, may we see those who were focused on Christ as they lived their lives or those who were not. For Father, you are number one. For seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and these things shall be added unto you. Father, thank you so much. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Diatrophus, this is a, he's a cocky Christian. You can call him the Muhammad Ali of verses 9 and 10. And, uh, you know, Third John, it, it takes a surprising turn. If you are here last week, we saw Gaius who had all this commendable stuff in his life. He lived his life for Christ. But if Gaius was a commendable Christian, a man by the name of Diatrophus was not. He was basically Gaius's alter ego at every turn. It was kind of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of thing. The bottom line about Diatrophus is this. He wanted to run the church. He wanted to be boss. And with perverted ambition, a dominating spirit, he opposed the apostle John and set himself up, Diatrophus did, as lord of the church. And if anyone took exceptions to his actions, that person was censored. He was dismissed from the congregation. Can you just see this guy? Maybe he's the guy with the flashy suit and the, uh, you know, you saw Deion Sanders' picture. We don't know what he looked like, but you can just see this domineering guy. And most likely, he was probably about my stature. I'm just guessing. Probably had all this talk, but not much muscle behind it. And just as John committed Gaius in four areas last week we saw, he's going to do an opposite to Dr. He's going to condemn him, John will, in four areas. First area is this. First sub-point is Dr. Fis is a cocky Christian. So for us, do not be driven by proud ambition. Look back at verse 9. 
He says he doesn't acknowledge our authority. John wrote a letter now lost to us somewhere in this. It's reception met a problem in the person of Diotrephus, and, and, and it's only mentioned here. But the issue was not a doctrinal issue with this guy, as far as we can tell. He, he sort of believed the right stuff, but here's what was wrong with Diotrephus. He had that number one complex. He wanted to be top dog. He wanted to be CEO. He wanted to be head honcho. He wanted to be captain of the ship. He wanted to be center of the every attraction. He wanted to be what? He wanted to be first. Friends, that's why the first application point just comes right out of this text. Is the gospel destroys pride because it tells us we are so lost that Jesus had to die for us. Colossians 1.18, that great passage about who Christ is, says only Jesus has the ability, has the authority to be preeminent over all of us. And amazingly, Diotrephus took for himself the position that only Christ should have in the local church. And friends, tragically, many today take the same position in churches around the nation that Jesus should hold. It may be a pastor, it may be a worship pastor, it may even be the fun youth pastor at times. Maybe a deacon maybe a lay person, it may be a powerful and influential family. I've heard of churches before where families have withheld their ties because they didn't like the decision, the direction was going, and we, we fund this church and they have withheld things. We don't know who Diotrephus was, but we do know that he was full of prideful, proud ambition that Christ called him not to have. You know, maybe you are here today and you struggle with pride. Maybe it's not shown in the church, but it's below your surface, but inside you're screaming large, but outside it looks small. Can I just offer you four quick things from the scriptures, how to fight pride? These are not on the screen. Friend, but you need to discipline yourself. If you struggle with pride, to be thankful to God. You want to cut into pride? Remind yourself of the contrast of what we get in Christ, but what we deserve outside of Christ. That's number one, discipline yourself. Number two, be thankful specifically for the cross of Christ. Meditate on Christ's sacrifice. Or as contemporary terms would go, preach the gospel to yourself. Pride comes low when you realize that you were the lowest of the low. Romans 5 says when we were helpless, we were weak. When we were ungodly, at the right time, Christ died. Not when we got our act together. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, please, there is no way you can pretty yourself up. For Jesus Christ. He sees all, he knows all, and all he asks is that you humbly turn to him. So discipline yourself if you struggle with pride. Be thankful for the cross of Christ, the gospel. Third, develop good friendships and encourage those friends to regularly be honest with you about your own pride. If you struggle with pride, one of the hardest things you can do is to talk to someone else about it. Would you agree with that? You ever met that person who said, I'm a humble person? Think about that for a second. You ever met the person who said, I'm the most humble person I know? Well, you've just become the most proud person you know as well. <laughs> Friends, you need to pray regularly that God would bring someone in your life to challenge you with those hard questions of, how is your pride going? Are you letting your pride get in the way of what Christ has called you to do? And fourth, try to understand why pride is so particularly dangerous. Pride is inaccurate. It's distorting. It's idolatrous, and if I can say so, it's deceiving. Pride tells us to act like diatrophists, like we are lords when Christ is Lord. So that's the first thing we see. He's a cocky Christian. Man, he is proud of himself, this diatrophist. Second thing you see is this. 
do not display puffed up arrogance. Look back at verse 9. It says he put himself first. Diotrephus would not receive. He would literally have nothing to do with John. He put him out of the church. Get out of here. Incredibly, he felt the apostle John, who had seen the risen Lord, had nothing to offer him, nothing he needed. And such arrogance would have not only been Christian ease, uncanny, it would have been bad for a Christian to do, but in that culture at that time, to not welcome someone hospitably would have been like a shame. You may remember a few years ago, some of you, that uh, George W. Bush was in a press conference, and a gentleman took a shoe and threw it at him. In the Middle Eastern culture, to show the sole of your foot is uh, to do every bad word you could throw at it here in America. That is basically what Diotrephus did to John. He put him out of the church. Crazy. Can you imagine if you could hear John next Sunday or one who'd studied him, would you say, nah, we don't need to hear from John. Who's this John guy? He didn't know anything about Jesus. He wasn't around him at all. That's how crazy arrogant Diotrephus had gotten. Friends, this is the next application point. The arrogance that we have greater wisdom than the scripture or those who wrote the scriptures is stunning, but it's very, very common. Would you agree with that? Most of you know that most people will not put themselves under the authority of God's word, but they will step on the Bible, so to speak. They will stand over the Bible like this and say, I want nothing to do with God's word. God's word will answer to me. And I think that's one way that we see that when Diotrephus said he put himself first. There are lessons here for our church, church-wide Tower View. We should be very wary of prideful leaders in the church. There are those who will present themselves as humble, that person, I'm the most humble person, but on the outside, when they get power, they will scream and reek with pride because they have found their place that they wanted. Friends, we must be prayerful and be diligent of putting into leadership those who will offend if they're not chosen for such high positions. You say, isn't that obvious? Is it, wouldn't most churches know that that's an easy thing? Friends, I think you probably know churches like this. Sometimes it's just filling a void. Well, we know that such and such is, is really going to do this his own way and, and do it for his own purposes, but who else do we have to serve? Friends, when we pray for leaders, we pray for those who are humble, who have understood what Christ has done for them, because we don't want puffed up, arrogant leaders. We want leaders who are humble and are willing to go when God says go, willing to stop when he says stop, or if he says wait, that they wait, just like as Luther said, like a puppy waiting on the scraps from the table with his tail wagging and his tongue out with a big smile on his face. That's the life of a Christian sold out to God, waiting for his command. So what else was he? He was puffed up, this diatrophus. He was also pig-headed. And friends, we are not to deliver pig-headed accusations. Look back at verse 10. It says, I don't your translation may be different here, but it says, talking wicked nonsense. Talking wicked nonsense. Many of you felt that way with the Mets and the Blue Jays and the Astros in recent weeks, Royals fans. But John did not fear. I, w I just want you to get this. John, as leader, did not fear public or personal confrontation when a situation demanded it. If he comes with the implication is he will confront Diotrephus, beginning with his perverse accusations. We don't know what these were. They could have been a character attack. They could have been John is wrong. It could have been any of those. But friends, the next application point for you and me as a church and as individuals is this. We should give our friends hunting licenses 
fishing licenses even, to confront us if we are failing to live in line with our own commitments. Friends, you should be willing to go up to a brother or a sister in Christ and simply say, look, would you keep me accountable? Would you watch this sin in my life so that it does not destroy me, my family, and ultimately bring shame to God's name? This, pray, this, this word here means gossiping maliciously. It means that literally Dr. Fitz had no one checking him. He just checked him out of the church. He said, whoop, get out of here. And with wicked intent, he slandered John. He tried to stack the deck and win the day, and he would stop at nothing to get his way. Even if it, even if it meant lying, even if it meant doing whatever, he was acting with a heavy hand. He was the guy of the church. He's that guy in the, this is a fictitious church, but that church of the last New Hope Baptist Church of nowhere in somewhere place, that guy who's been there for 70 years and says, well, Sonny, I'll be here when you, when you leave, and I'll be here long after, or I'll be here when you're here now, and I'll be here long after you die. You ever heard someone say that in a church before? Sonny, I've been around here. Friends, we need to be careful not to just rush into leadership, but pray that our people here at this church stand humbly, humbly before the Lord. Last thing you see with Diotrephus, things we're not to see in a gospel-centered church is he dominated with polluted activity. Look back at verse 10. Don't dominate with polluted activity. He refuses to welcome the brothers and stops and puts them out. Wow. I am grateful that this church is welcoming to those who don't know Jesus Christ. If you're here today, I pray that you feel like this is your second home. I've said this to many of you in recent weeks that when we stepped in here on March 14th of this past year to come and view a call, we felt like we had come home. We did not feel like we had strangers here at all. Although we're getting to know each other, we felt at home. But did you notice what he had? Diotrephus had ambition. He had passion. He had arrogance. He had accusations. And you know what that eventually led to? It led him to say, nope, I get to choose who comes in the church. You don't. Last point from Diotrephus is this, friends. The fastest way to be like Satan is to try to be God. The fastest way to be like God is to refuse to be God in your life. Friends, he was exactly the opposite of what Gaius was previously. He slandered John. He gave a cold shoulder to those missionaries that were coming and, and trying to pass through. He wouldn't welcome them. He kicked out of the church anyone who tried to help those missionaries, all because he loved himself. He loved his agenda, and he had to have his w way no matter what. Sounds like a couple toddlers in the Sunday school room, doesn't it? It really does. You know, uh, several years ago, Greek New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson, who has written many good books, shared this story. He actually wrote a story for the State Baptist paper about Diotrephus. And he wrote an article for the paper, and true story, the editor the next week had to write a an editorial saying that A.T. Robertson was not writing about deacons in the state of this state. But 25 deacons from uh, different churches resigned as a result of Dr. Robertson's article about diatrophies because they felt so much that he was pointing the finger at them. I just want you to know our deacons are not like that. I am grateful for each of the men that we have, and they come together. We come with all different personalities, all different ages, but we are centered on the gospel. Amen? And that is what we are here to do.
He had prideful ambition. Watch your motives, friends. He had puffed up arrogance. Watch your decisions. He had a pig-headed accusations. Watch your tongue. James said a small spark from your tongue can set ablaze a whole fire of things that are not godly. And he had polluted activity. Watch your actions as you go. That's the bad guy. Are you glad we're done with the bad guy? Ready to get on the good guys? Amen. Let's go on to the second one. Demetrius. Demetrius is a compatible Christian. A compatible Christian. Look back at verses 11 and 12 here. It said, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. In a wise rhetorical strategy, as a good leader and writer would, John sandwiches the bad diatrophus between Gaius, the good guy, and Demetrius, the good guy. And a man like Diotrephus can be impressive and build a following and gather supporters who admire him, even idolize him. But John knew we all imitate. John knew we all follow people to try and be like them. Be careful who you admire, but make sure it's someone like this guy, Demetrius, we're about to read. First, in verse 11, first sub-point here is pursue a godly example. Pursue a godly example. So fourth time he's used this word beloved. It's the uh, fourth and final time, actually, we see that from John. He tells them not to mimic, don't imitate, don't try and, and do what they're doing. He's saying what is evil, but what is good. It gives evidence to who you belong to. He said this guy, Diotrephus, is evil. He's doing bad things. He's doing bad things in the name of Christ. But if you do good, you are from God. Ultimately, friends, Jesus is our example. We believe that. But don't just stop there. He's the example that died for your sins so that you could live once again. Many people out there today will say, we need to be like Jesus. Amen? We do. But they stop there. The Jesus that we celebrate is the Jesus we will commemorate here in a few minutes in the Lord's Supper. He gave his life for us. We need men and women whom we can point our sons and daughters to. I, I, I pray, I hope that Brett Favre, Deion Sanders, and Muhammad Ali, with respect to them, are not on your role model list for those in your children's lives. But friends, we need people in our church, more people. Men, would you pray for other men to rise up in this church to be godly examples? Ladies, would you pray for other ladies in this church to, to rise up to be examples for young ladies? Doctor who shows that examples are important. By his example and through his actions, Diotrephus is undermining and counteracting his claim to be a Christian. But Demetrius stands up and says, no, look at this life. It's completely separated. Friends, who are you following today? Who is your greatest follower? If, so if you get an email or a text or a Facebook or Twitter or whatever else is out there from your favorite person, do you get more excited about that person than you do about the simple thing that Jesus loved me and he died for me? If you're a non-Christian, who are you following? Who is your example? They're going to fail you eventually, but we are grateful as Christians that those around us know that it's only Christ who is ultimately perfect. You know, I had someone tell me on the streets one time, he said, Darren, I just cannot believe in a God who would send people to hell. That is not an example to follow. Why would God, who's loving, send people to hell? We talked about this a few months ago about God's wrath, but friends, I want you to know this. God is our ultimate example, even with this point I'm about to share. 
Here's the next application point for you. If God let every man or woman run headlong into hell, he would still be just and his reputation would still remain untarnished. I hope you believe that about our God. Because, friends, he is a God that has given chance after chance after chance after chance for people to look at him as the perfect one and know there's no other hope under heaven to be saved except through Jesus Christ. For the Christian, this is why the study of the Bible is essential to you. Read it so that you may be washed, learning to follow God, good examples that differ from the world. Friends, you have the ultimate example in Christ. He will never fail you. Aren't you grateful, Tower of you this morning, that your God is ever faithful, that your God is ever true? Young people, this is why you can make a difference in this world. This is why you can make an impact on this world because God goes with you and he is faithful. This is why, older saints, that your time is not ended until God takes you out of here. There is a place for you to serve because the example that Christ gave is that he gave his life for us. That whatever age, whatever situation, he is enough for us. This world is not passive. It will strive to impress its own example on us. Do you know him? Non-Christian, this God of ours that we believe in is such a perfect God that he demands perfect holiness. And if you're not a Christian here today, the best thing I can tell you to is look to the cross. Look to who Jesus was. He was fully God, fully man. He came to earth not just to be an example, but to be a substitute, to be a propitiation, to be a sacrifice for our sin. So that while we were helpless and sinners, he would die for us. And on that cross, he took the wrath we deserve. We sang that and all I have is Christ. And he took everything we should have on us, but it was laid and foisted on him. And God's wrath was appeased and satisfied. Christ was buried. Three days later, he rose again, not as just some symbol, but as a reality, a literal reality that death has once and for all been defeated, and he's coming again. Non-Christian, do you know him today? That is the best example we can point to is Jesus Christ. But in that, even fallen people, Demetrius comes very close to that. He was a consistent Christian. Second thing is this. Not only pursue a godly example, but possess a great testimony. Look back at verse 12. It says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Demetrius probably brought this letter to Gaius. Most likely, he was probably the deliverer of the message. And this letter would also serve as his recommendation from John as he carried that letter. But it's a threefold witness. Did you notice how he was described here? He was described as a good testimony from all. He was described as a good testimony from the truth. And he was described from a good testimony from John and his community. Friends, I pray that that is what marks our leaders here at Tower View Baptist Church. That's what marks our leaders of everything. Over time, people have watched Demetrius and found him to be godly. Over time, people were amazed at what God was doing in this person's life. Maybe you know someone like that, that you can call on at any point. You look at their life and say, you know, I don't have it all together, but this person does. Friend, even the most godly person on this life doesn't have it all together, but I guarantee you they know the one who does have it all together, right? And it's doubtful everyone agreed with Demetrius's commitment to Christ and Christian truth, but his life was above reproach. Here was a man I could point my son and my daughter to and say, follow him. As he follows Christ. Friend, could they point to you? Could they point to me and say the same thing? Follow Christ because he's following Christ. 
A good reputation isn't everything, but it isn't nothing. What is your reputation today? Who would you want, what would you want others to say about your life? Friends, the only one, this is the next application point as we move on. The only one in the universe whose opinion counts looks at me, looks at you, and he finds you and me more valuable than all the jewels of all creation. That is the God we serve. The God we serve says you are worth more than anything else in all this world. Do you know in Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 40, God says that he, he numbers and he names the stars, and yet he knows us enough to say that he is Lord of all, yet he wants a relationship with us. Amen? What an amazing God we serve. And the best way to know more about this God is to know more about Christ. Je Jesus is God. He's fully God, fully man. And Demetrius was good. He was reputable as insofar as he followed Christ. Friends, you are not reputable because you climb the corporate ladder. You are not reputable because you have the best manicured lawn in the neighborhood. And if that's you, I need your help. Come see me after service. You are not reputable because your business has a five-star rating on Angie's List. Those are great things. You are reputable because God has given a name that is, uh, he's given you access to the name that is above all names, and that is the name Jesus Christ. Our identity is not in stuff. What we do, it is found in who? Christ. That's right. For we are not to live by the opinion of man, and a Christian's reputation may suffer for doing what is right. But if you know Christ, that is all that matters. You know, coming up here in about a year, it's already starting again. It has been for many times, the presidential elections. And I'm not commentating on who to vote to, but I do want to notice some things in history that one vote made a difference in. One vote in history changed a lot of things. I just want to share some of these with you. How about in 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. How about 1845? We got the biggest state, I believe, Texas. One vote brought Texas into the Union. 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1875, one vote cha changed France from a monarchy of kings and queens to a republic. In 1923, one vote gave the infamous now Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. Isn't that crazy to think about? Friends, you say my life isn't worth much. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ, your life can change a whole lot of things. Your life can be an influence in the spirit that God gives you, but know that one vote can make a difference. How much more eternally can a life sold out to the power and promises of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit make a difference in the lives of your communities? Friends, revival doesn't start simply by praying. That's a great starting point. It starts by Reflecting on, am I a good testimony? Am I pursuing a godly example? How much can God use one person? How much can God use one church sold out to Christ? Friends, you will never know the bounds this side of heaven. How much God can use you if you are faithful to him. But know, Christian, that your one pursuit of Christ is not just done by you out there doing your own thing. It's done in the local body through Christ, through the name of Christ. Still with me? Amen? You're still there. All right, last point. John says this. There was a cocky Christian in Diotrephus. There was a, get my notes here, compatible Christian. 
And now finally, there is a commendable Christian in John. Look back at verses 14, uh, 13 through 15 with me. He said, uh, John says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. There goes Facebook. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk to you face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Friends, throughout this short letter, John has painted a picture of godly leadership and ungodly leadership. And the godly leader now brings the letter to a close, very similar that he did a couple weeks ago in 2 John. What closing words of wisdom he leaves them with. And I just want to share these with you quickly. Two sub points. First, he says, devour the presence of fellow believers. Devour the presence of fellow believers. He says, with a full and burdened heart, he longs to come to them. John is so enamored, not by the church necessarily, but by the people that make up the church. Friends, do you get excited when you get to be around other people at Tower View? I hope that you are. I hope that you just get a kick out of just being around other Christians in general, but especially this local body at Tower View Baptist Church. And he will embrace John Mulgaius, and he will confront Diotrephes, and he will give a pat, keep going, attaboy, to uh, Demetrius. But one thing he says, John longs for the fellowship of believers. He wants us to devour the presence. Charles Spurgeon, John, one of those old dead guys, John, John pulled me aside and said, I hadn't said that in three weeks, so John, there you go, those old dead guys. Charles Spurgeon said this, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. That is Satan's job. Pen and ink are nice. Facebook is nice. Texting is nice. Even a phone is nice, but they're not enough. So many people today are talking about cyber church. You can do church in your underwear at home. This has been going on for about 10 to 12 years, but it's really hit a point in the last few Friends, look, I, there are going to be snow days, and there may be times where you need to listen to a sermon or watch a live service. Absolutely. Please do that to God's glory. But they can never substitute for the personal touch of seeing a brother or sister, embracing them with a hug, giving a handshake, saying, hey, I've been praying for you. Look, we know there are people who are in long-term care, people who are homebound. We, we understand those dynamics. But as much as you are able Commit yourself to this church, not because there's cool pastors on board and staff with an average age of 35. That's not why, although that's a unique dynamic. You commit yourself here and devour the presence of other believers because this is, friends, heaven on earth. The local church is where you see what heaven someday will be like. Yes, with its problems. Yes, with its personality quirks. Yes, with discussions of all things like Baptists do and all the potlucks, Dave Edmonds, like Baptists do. But do you desire the presence of other believers? John was a concerned Christian because he wanted to remind them that pen and ink wouldn't suffice. They needed each other. Last thing. John says, desire peace for fellow believers. Desire peace for fellow believers. He even prays this. He says, I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. John hopes to come soon, not later. It's not, I hope to go to church one day. It's I want to be faithful and going. He wants a face to face, or literally in the Greek, I think, I'm looking at my Greek guys here. I think this literally means mouth to mouth. Uh, the whole, it doesn't, just know it's a, it's a pseudonym there, or not a pseudonym, a, a phrase that refers to personal and close time together. A letter or an email is a poor substitute, John would say. And he closes with the expression of peace. 
Friends, there's no greater peace than this. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, our friends greet you. They say hello. Isn't that nice? They know the situation with Diotrephus, and they stand with John. And this is the only place, for you Bible uh, scholars here, the only place in the New Testament where believers are called friends, except for John 15, 13, where Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The friends greet you. Say hello to everyone, name by name. Say hello to them all. We should love and care for someone just like that in this church, one by one. Friends, don't think it's just as easy to pass through the hallway and do the group thing and say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And walk on and do your formal thing. Have you gotten deeper in your relationships here? It's a good way to do it. Friends, Christ is our role model. Christ, I'm sorry, Christ is not our role model, the last application point, but many who admire him will go the opposite way. Friend, I want to just repeat this again. You can know, you can love the ideals of Jesus Christ. You can love his, his, his nonviolence at times. You can love all the cultural things that Jesus has come to know. But John knows this. Only those who know the true Christ that's preached in this scripture can really know the peace that he's talking about in verses 14 and 15. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, please find me afterwards. See our deacon of the month, Steve and his wife Judy back there. See anyone who looks like they know what they're doing around here. And that's a lot of people. And I guarantee you they can share that gospel. But friends, if you are here today and you don't know Christ, it is all about knowing him. It is all about knowing him. If you're a Christian here today, aren't you grateful that you have the greatest peace that can ever come? It is not by your sports team winning the World Series. It is not by your car starting in the winter for the first cold morning we've had in months. Your peace is not found in anything but Jesus Christ. I'm not a huge John Maxwell fan, but I'll end with a quote from him. I think it's very appropriate, and I love his smile. If my teeth could be as white as this guy's, life would be a little bit better. People do not see. People do what they see. They'll forget your sermons, but they'll follow in your footsteps. Friends, if you're here today, you're going to forget a lot of what I say today, but I pray that this one thing comes out. I pray that your motivation, my motivation, is that it's all about Christ. And friends, when our direction is all about Christ, we may steer to the right a little, we may steer to the left, but by God's power and His Holy Spirit, He will bring us back, dragging us at times to know Him. Christian, have you lost the simple joy that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Christian, have you become so head, filled with head knowledge that you have forgotten the simple truth that God loves you and he gave his life for you? If you're here today and you're on fire for Jesus Christ, I pray that God stokes that a million times over. If you are a Christian struggling in your walk with Christ today, say, Darren, I want to be like Gaius. I want to be like Demetrius. Man, I even want to be like John, but don't. I feel like I'm more like a diatrophist, man. I'm not standing up telling people in the church, but in my heart, I'm just rejecting God. Would you pray? Would you come up and pray with us during that time? Would you talk with us? We don't have a silver bullet, but we do have God. We have his word, and that is sufficient, and that is enough. Friends, I pray as our church goes forward that if there's ever any of these mix of personalities in our church, and there will be, that we do and honor the Lord with godly wisdom about how we approach them. Let's pray together as we go through. Father, thank you for this day today.
Lord, thank you for this time. As Father, we get ready to enter the Lord's Supper time, we do pray that you would give us great grace. Father, you would give us great humility at this church to remember, to proclaim that everything is yours and you are ours. Father, as we do the Lord's Supper, uh, we just pray that you would be honored and glorified in our church. Father, I pray for Gaius's, I pray for John's to rise up, I pray for Demetrius's, all three individuals, Lord. Father, that are godly examples, raise up more godly examples in Tower View Baptist Church. But Lord, thank you for the many that are here already. Stoke those fires of passion for you. Father, for any Christian, non-Christian here today, I pray that you would open their hearts to know the truth of the word and know the truth of the gospel. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you that only in Christ can we be found and have hope. Hope not just that a team may win a series, but Lord, hope that if we passed away, we are founded solidly on the rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ and another. Lord, we ask this today in Jesus' name. We pray this for his sake. God's people said.